found on page 30 of your pew Bibles. Jacob's dream at Bethel. Jacob left Bathsheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of the Lord were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Love. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, if God will be with me, and will watch over me on the journey I am taking, and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear, so that I return safely to my father's house. Then the Lord will be my God, and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father God, we give thanks for your word. And we ask now that you'd fill us with your spirit. Help us hear the things that you want to hear this day and forget the things that you want us to forget. In the name of Jesus, your son. Amen. Good morning, lovely people. Thank you. In a lush day, it is stunning outside today. It is an absolutely cracker of a day and one of those brilliant days where it's just good to come and you feel alive and actually to worship the Lord and this morning we've had such a wonderful time of worship and heard great stories as well from Garth and Helen and Sue about God at work in their lives, dreams, visions, interventions, you name it. It's been just wonderful so far and here we are with this, shall we say, rather peculiar reading. 
But before we get to that, I'm going to tell you a little bit of my week thus far. Uh, because this week, um, me, Liz, and the boys spent a few days in London. Um, our lads hadn't seen London before, and they were really keen on seeing some of the sights. So we thought, well, we'll have a couple of days, go see the sights, whatever. And so we went. And there was a real sense of wonder, especially on our youngest son, when we got there, we got on the underground, and we got off at Westminster Station on the underground. And if you know Westminster Station at all, you'll know you get out, and there, straight in front of you, is Big Ben and the Houses of Parliament. And it's a real wow moment. And if you could contrast anything from growing up in rural Wales to that, that was the biggest contrast that you could have of absolutely everything. So they were wowed by that. Me, I was having a little bit of a trip down memory lane because the second that I saw Big Ben, the Houses of Parliament and the whole part of Westminster, my mind was taken back to 2005. And what I was doing at that time, because I wasn't a vicar in 2005, I had a job in the Senate in Cardiff and I was working in politics. And I'm going to say right here, right now, I had no aspiration to be a vicar. I had aspirations to be a politician. And in that year, 2005, I was selected to be the parliamentary candidate for the Liberal Democrats standing in the constituency of Merthyr Tidville and Rumney. I was a young lad, not far out of university, and I finished that election in second place. That's the spin. Politics is all about spin, and that's the nice side of the story. The real story is this. I was selected to stand in the constituency of Merthyr Tidville and Romney because no one else wanted to stand in the constituency of Merthyr Tidville and Romney. Yes, I came second. However, there was about a 16,000 drop between number one and number two. And what was deemed a good result for me was saving the 500 quid deposit that was put up by a dodgy second-hand car dealer who lived in the town as well. However, I stood there. And it was a funny whole process because I was ill-prepared, I was young, I wasn't really pot cut out for the world of politics. And even though I was this no-hope candidate in this small town, I was overwhelmed by the number of things I had to do. Go to hustings, have debates, and give little interviews. And if you Google me, you might still find resemblances of, uh, you know, echoes of that time. Me with hair looking absolutely appalling, a terrible haircut, um, looking really appalling. But generally speaking, the kind of interview they would have to do wasn't so much to do with policy. It was little things so the good people of Merthyr, Tidville and Romney would understand who it was that was standing. So you wouldn't ask so much about what you would do about the bus service, make the trains run and all that kind of thing. You were asked about simple stuff. What's your favourite meal? What's your favourite film? What's your favourite book? Who your hero is? And that kind of thing. So in a nutshell, the electorate could understand what kind of a person you were. Now, I'm going to say right here, right now, that was a complicated business. Because there was the reality of what your favourite meal, you know, film and all that is, and what you wanted to portray to other people. So my reality might have been that my favourite meal is a pot noodle, and my favourite film was Carrying Up the Jungle. I wasn't going to say that. I was going to say that my favourite film was Citizen Kane, or something like that, to make me sound like an intellectual. But <laughs> all those things were fine. Where I struggled was the two questions of who is your hero and what's your favourite book?
Now, the hero was debating, do I reveal something? My Christian self and say, my hero is Jesus. And I thought, go on then, why not? I'll do that. But as for the book, that was a lot harder because there were three options really I had. I'm not the most well-read person. I'm going to say that as well. Number one was the Bible and remains now my favorite book, really. I've got to say that. It's the job. But I do love the Bible. <laughs> Number two was The Secret Diary of Adrian Mole. Fabulous book. Really funny book. But again, not something you want to mention if you want to look like an intellectual. And number three was 1984 by George Orwell. And that was the book I stumped on because I thought that showed that I had a little bit of intellectual gravitas. Really, the secret day of Adrian Mole, but that was what I said I was going to do. I decided not to say the Bible because I'd said, Jesus, my hero, and well, I didn't want to look like a zealot now, did I? So... I went for 1984. And if you're not familiar with the book 1984, basically it was a book that was written in 1949 by an incredible author called George Orwell that told the story of a dystopian future in 1984 where there were only three countries in the world, those countries at war with each other, and civil liberty and freedom was limited. Everywhere you went, people were watched by Big Brother. You can put a step out of line because Big Brother was watching. And of course, as time has gone on, the words Big Brother have been referred to quite a lot. There's been a TV series, which some of you may remember, but also whenever things like, I don't know, civil liberties are mentioned or CCTV cameras are mentioned, we hear words in the media like Big Brother is watching. And in fact, we'll point it's true. In the UK, we're the most watched nation in the world. We have more CCTV cameras and things looking at us than anywhere else. And it slightly creeps you out. It certainly does me anyway. The thought that pretty much wherever we go, someone is watching over us. Which brings us on to what I believe about God. And the belief that I have that God is always watching us. And when you think about that, that sounds creepy as well. To those of us who might be established Christians, it sounds like a real thing of comfort and warmth. God is watching you. But to those who perhaps aren't on the edge, it is freaky. This thought that there is someone, somewhere, constantly watching over us. That's a bit like Sue saying, you know, she wasn't going to go to Andy and say, God's told me I'm going to marry you. Because straight away, that one thing to hear sounds a little bit odd. And to say to those who perhaps don't know the faith, God is always watching you, is weird. The thought of God always watching over us. Now this reading today is really an introduction in the Bible to what it means to have God constantly watching over us. And Jacob, who is at the heart of it, is a man on a journey. And he's a man on a journey in some ways, trying to escape his past. In some ways, trying to work out his purpose. And in some ways, in his own way, trying to escape God. And it's on that journey, here at Bethel, as it would be called, that God intervenes and shows him this vision of a stairway going up to heaven. A wonderful image that has captivated artists throughout the years. This wonderful image of heaven and earth touching each other and a reminder that God is always watching. And 
It's a bit of a life-changing moment for Jacob. But it also is inspirational to us as well. And I'll tell you for why. When I think about my own personal objections to being watched, CCTV, and all of that kind of thing, what scares me is that I might be seen to be doing something wrong. What scares me is something I do can be misinterpreted. And if I'm being really honest, sometimes I want to do naughty things. Sometimes I want to drive 80 miles an hour on a motorway. Sometimes I want to get places quicker. And the thought that somebody is watching, taking note of that, freaks me out. I want to break the rules and get away with it. God watching over Jacob and watching over us can feel a little bit like, oh, heck, what am I going to do now to be caught up with I'm doing wrong? But God doesn't work that way. And the evidence really is in Jacob himself. Now, some of you might know the great musical Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat and would have heard the story of Jacob through that. He was a great guy with 12 sons. He was the father of the nation of Israel, a top lad to be looked up to and a real hero of the Bible. He was a div. That's in the reality of who Jacob was. All that stuff came a little bit later, but the actual person of Jacob was not a nice guy at all. In the chapters leading up to this precise moment, Jacob was a guy who had done his brother out of his own inheritance, had robbed him, had pretended to be somebody else, had pretended to be his brother to receive his father's blessing, double-crossed people. He was not a nice guy. Jacob wasn't a good guy. And actually, he was not only not a godly person, he was trying to escape God. And even at this moment, after this moment with God, he still wasn't fully on board with him. Jacob was somebody who was very much on a journey to be godly, but he wasn't godly at this point. And yet the Lord still called him. And that's a real encouraging thing for all of us, because we perhaps have more in common with Jacob than we like to admit. I'm not talking about double crossing and things like that, but not all of us are perfect. All of us do stuff wrong. All of us sin. It's why we had a confession today. I have driven over the speed limit this week. I can admit that. I have done certain things that are wrong. I am on a journey. And the fact is that God still calls us despite our imperfections. When we look at Jacob, we see this imperfect person. In fact, what we see is a pretty terrible person. But what God sees is potential. What God sees is somebody who is special. Everyone else would have looked at Jacob and said, he's no good. He is a real bad egg. But God saw who he could be. And as he watches over him, as he calls him, he is fully aware of all of that. And for us, this whole notion of God watching over us isn't something to fear, it's something to embrace. Our father is a loving father. He doesn't send down fireballs from heaven when we've done something wrong. He disciplines us, but it's all in love. I've got a loving dad who taught me how to swim. 
And when I struggled to swim, my dad didn't scream and shout at me because he couldn't, I couldn't get it straight away. He basically said, try this again, try this again. The chastisement was about instruction. The discipline was about instruction. And that's how our father works with us. He encouraged us to be better. He encourages us to be the person who we are called to be. He encourages us in our good purposes. And if you've come here today thinking, I'm not perfect. If you've come here today thinking, oh, heck, I'm a bit of a sinner. If you've come here today thinking, I don't think I belong in a church because they're for good people. Let me tell you, you are wrong to think that way in the best possible way. Because God, who called Jacob, who wasn't perfect, calls you as well. And he will give you all that you need as you journey on. This reading is a real reminder, not just that God is watching, but that God is incredibly strong. So strong that we can't quite get our heads around it. It takes place in the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. And just a few chapters before this, we have the story of the Tower of Babel. And the story of the Tower of Babel, again, if you don't know it, means that the people of the earth came together and decided to build a tower to get up to heaven. They spent years and years laboring to get this tower up to heaven, and God knocked it down and scattered them. That was the best of human endeavor. But here, just a few chapters on, in a blink of an eye, God creates a stairway between heaven and earth. Man struggles and strives to build a tower that gets knocked down. God makes a stairway in seconds. The link between heaven and earth. God is so much greater than our human understanding. God is so much more powerful God is so much greater. God is one who created an entire universe. God is the one who flung the stars into space. And God is the one for whom all things are possible, even the forgiveness of sins. By the time we get to Jesus, Jesus himself refers to this particular dream, this vision, and refers to himself as a stairway between heaven and earth, the one who came to bridge the gap, to bring heaven and earth together, to take away sin and suffering, but also all the other benefits of the gospel. Jesus came to take away our sin, but Jesus came to bring heaven to earth. When we're in need of healing, as we're here today, to pray to him and he will intervene. When we need a dream and a vision, Heaven and earth will touch each other and he will intervene. When we are struggling, he will intervene. When on this journey that he calls us to, we don't know where we're going, we don't know what's happening, he will intervene. When we need food, when we need provisions, he will intervene. He will bless us, he will help us, and he will support us across all of this journey. And in this dream that Jacob had with Jesus, at the core of it was this promise that he will be with him always and he will give him what he needs. 
while he is here on earth. And until his journey ends, and his journey ended with himself going up to that stairway to heaven, he will give him everything. And this is so important for us right now, I think, because there is so much fear in the air, so much fear about the world as it is, so much fear about losing out. But the Lord makes a promise to us that he will be with us always and give us everything we need. And whether those things are physical, whether they are spiritual, whether they are emotional, whether we need extra help, he will be with us. Whether we need to be fed physically, spiritually, or there is a need of healing, he is there for us to help us. And he's there to help us because we have a purpose. We are here for a reason. And this particular passage, in many ways, is all about Jacob understanding that, that he has a purpose. The Lord took this broken man, this sinner of a man, this hurtful man, and said, you've got a purpose, my son. And he gave him that purpose. And each and every one of us here today has a purpose just the same. No matter how young we are or how old we are, if there is breath in our bodies, we still have a purpose. The Lord still has a purpose for each and every one of us. You know, our testimony today just spoke about a second chance. You've got a purpose. Sue and Andy, we came together for a purpose. And when you see them together, you can see that purpose so clearly and wonderfully. God has a purpose for each and every one of us. Last week, me and Andy were having a bit of a laugh about how I said in our talk about Jesus and how God didn't, the world didn't need an economist or a vicar or a politician, but the world needed a saviour. The world needed a saviour, but he calls economists and vicars and teachers and healthcare workers and people who deliver things and people who work with other people, people who are called to be parents. God calls us all and God gives purpose to each and every one of us. God calls some of us to go to Spain. God calls some of us to stay at home. God calls each and every one of us. And you know, I think it was Sigmund Freud who said that a person only needs two things to be happy, work and love. God gives us both. He gives us his love and in his love, he gives us a purpose. We have a purpose while we are here on earth. And whether it is in our work, whether it's in our family, whether it's amongst our friends, whether it's in our church, we have a purpose. I thank the Lord that the Lord revealed to me that my purpose wasn't getting off that underground and walking into the House of Parliament. It was to walk into St. Mike's Aberystwyth one day in 2019. That my purpose will keep on changing and developing over the years. And yours will as well. But we keep discovering our purpose by doing one thing and one thing alone. 
and that is spending time with God. And in this reading, Jacob was forced into it. Through his dream, he was forced into spending time with God. And the Lord blessed him because of it. Yes, he was a work in progress. Yes, he was still being formed. But he had a purpose. And the Lord gave him everything that he needed to fulfill that purpose. And he will do the same for us as well. If you're struggling today, and I really mean this, be encouraged, you are called by the Lord. If you are fearful today, be encouraged, the Lord is with you, the Lord is watching. If you're feeling down on yourself today, be encouraged, you are special, you are called. If the Lord can call a person like Jacob, who really was one of the worst, he can call, and he does call, each and every one of us. May we continue to discover his good purposes for us. May we rejoice that he is always watching us. May we not despair when tough things come our way. And may we grow in his ways. And I'm just going to finish now by praying for us. And I really want to pray for each and every one of us that we would know his love now. We would also know his purpose. So Father God, we give thanks to you for the story of Jacob. We give thanks that you called him even though he was broken and you call us as well. And Lord, we lift you whatever breaks us today. And if you're struggling with our sin, we pray that you would forgive us and give thanks that we are forgiven. If we are struggling with who we are, we pray that you would speak to us. If we are struggling with anything at all, we pray that you would come to us. And we pray that you would reveal to us your purpose. We pray that you would reveal to us the purpose you have for us here as a church and maybe a purpose for the churches where we've come from. We pray that you would reveal to us your purpose as individuals and we would not despair. Lift us up, we pray. Bless us in the power of your name. Bless us in your spirit. In the name of Jesus, your son, we pray. Amen.